You're listening to the Sportsman's Empire Podcast Network brought to you by Full Sneak Gear. Check out their entire lineup at fullsneakgear.com. Also be sure to check out our entire stable of podcasts at sportsmansempire.com. Transform the way you hunt with the all-new base cellular trail camera connected by the Moultrie Mobile app. Moultrie Mobile's industry-best app gives you complete control over your camera settings, up-to-the-minute updates from the field, and other interactive scouting tools on your smartphone or computer. Features like weather forecast, advanced species recognition, interactive maps, and a whole lot more. For more information and to make your purchase, visit www.moultriemobile.com. New from Moultrie Mobile, the Feed Hub offers first-of-its-kind cellular connection and control for nearly any spin cast feeder on the market. When used with the Moultrie Mobile app, you can monitor feed and battery levels, run feeders on demand, receive alerts when feeders are clogged, and remotely adjust feeding times. The Feed Hub is ideal for anyone who maintains feeders. Remove the guesswork and save time by planning feeder maintenance before you drive to your hunting property. For more information, visit MoultrieMobile.com. Before history is written... It's played. Before it's frozen in time, it's fought one shift at a time. Before it's etched in silver, it's carved in ice. What happens next will last forever. The Stanley Cup Final on ABC and ESPN Plus begins Saturday. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome back to another episode of the Hunting Gear Podcast, and today we're going to be talking with Chad Sylvester from Exodus Outdoor Gear. Now, you guys may know Exodus Outdoor Gear from their trail camera lineup that they have, and I think right now they have three trail cameras available, uh, the Lift, the... Uh, Trek and the uh, render which is their cell cam um, I've been using their products now for a while now I really like their trail cameras but they have recently stepped into the world of arrows specifically building custom arrows for whoever wants to shoot them and uh, that's what today's episode is about we talk uh, with Chad about why would a company go from trail cameras to introducing arrows? Um, we talk about the material. We talk about the customization process. We talk about the build process. We talk about the, the manufacturing process and all the things that lead up to getting this arrow out into the market, right? So it's a really awesome episode, especially if you guys are nerds when it comes to, you know, arrow builds. I know there's a lot of guys out there who tweak and tweak and tweak and tweak their arrows, and uh, Chad talks a lot about that. So it's a really cool, really interesting episode. I'm sure you guys are going to enjoy it. Uh, today, we're going to talk in our commercials, of course, Tethered. Uh, man, I've just been shooting and shooting and shooting out of my saddle and getting more comfortable with it and more comfortable with it. And uh, the hunting season is getting closer and closer and closer. And I can't wait to get out and officially become a saddle hunter. Now, I don't know if I will officially become a saddle hunter if I just hunt out of a saddle or if I actually have to kill something while I'm in that saddle. That's yet to be determined, but I'm looking forward to getting in, in there. So if you're looking for a really good saddle, you need to check out Tethered. They have uh, climbing sticks. They got everything you need. Climbing sticks, platforms, the saddle itself, all the accessories that go along with it. And then you can go to their website and you can check out all the education uh, that they offer to their end user on how to, you know, get more comfortable with all the equipment that they that they do offer in the saddle world. So go check out Tethered. And then of course, Hunt Stand. It's it's that time of year where I I am in the process. Like I've I'm already done e-scouting for the most part. I've got all my property scrubbed. I'm looking for access. I'm looking for where to park my truck. I'm looking for um you know, food sources, water sources, especially when I go out west, all that stuff is pretty much done by now. 
the only thing that I have to do now is use hunt stand as that reference. Pull it up, look at it. It's like a map or a journal to where I need to go, what I need to do, and just verify what I've e-scouted. Okay, this place is good, this place is bad. Keep moving or stay here and let's check it out. So that's what uh, I'm doing with HuntStand right now. If you want to find out more about HuntStand and all the functionality with this hunting app, and by the way, it's one of the most popular hunting apps on the market for a reason, uh, and it's, it's all the functionality that I've already talked about, but also the, the, the value, right? It's very affordable, and you get a ton of functionality with it. Uh, so go to HuntStand.com and check it out. If you're looking for a discount code, I got one of those. SN20 for 20% off. And then lastly, we have the new 6.0 version of the of Tacticam. And so there's a ton of new functionality behind this product. And um, it's basically what it is, it's an upgrade from the previous model. It has image stabilization. It has uh, a screen on the device so you can look at what you're doing. At the same time, low light capabilities and an upgraded mounting option. So go over to the Tacticam website, go check out the 6.0. Tons tons of great information on there about that and i know a lot of guys are really into filming their hunts and this is an awesome way to do that so go check out tacticam other than that i think we're good to go for this episode please go to itunes and uh leave a review a five-star review on the hunting gear podcast or wherever you're downloading this from and uh, let everybody know how awesome the sportsman's empire is and that you like listening to the podcast from here go to the nine finger chronicles podcast if you have any questions or want to see a uh, a different brand interviewed on here uh, i do that as well so uh, go leave uh you know leave uh some hints for me of what you'd like to see reviewed on the hunting gear podcast and you can do that through instagram and there we go have a good rest of your day and enjoy this podcast three two one all right on the phone with me today mr chad sylvester from exodus outdoor gear how we doing man I'm doing well, Dan. Uh, I appreciate the time, and I have to apologize about the scheduling conflicts. I know we've been trying to do this for a few months now, um, so it's it's good to finally get on the horn with you, man. Yeah. Anybody in this industry has scheduling conflicts uh, because there's not – like every every company uh, seems to be running on skeleton crews. Every yep. – person who deer hunts right now is in a rush to get shit done so that they can get out and and start hunting this fall because really that's all we really care about if you boil it all down like i love podcasting but i really love hunting so um we're we're in the same boat uh you're in the same boat as a ton of other people so it's not no worries at all man no i appreciate it. you're 100 right man you can throw everything out out the window it's all about it's all, all about killing stuff it's yeah. all about deer hunting man absolutely um and so today we're going to be talking about exodus outdoor gear we're going to talk about the cameras just a little bit but we're going to dive into the arrows that you guys have released so we're going to get into that but before you know we get into the meat and potatoes of today's episode what do you got coming up this fall for hunts oh man i have I, I leave on a, for an elk hunt. Um, I'm going to Idaho. I'm leaving around. I'm either flying out the 11th or 12th. I can't exactly remember. Got to check the flight schedule. But uh, uh, yeah, just an elk hunt coming up in four days. Um, it's one of the best archery tags in the state. Um, so I'm really, really excited about that. Unfortunately, I'm a terrible elk hunter. I'm, I'm new to it. And the tag is basically, I'm basically flying solo. So the yeah. group of guys who kind of invited me into the their group they're eastern guys but their track record over the last 12 12 to 15 years uh killing bulls is phenomenal yeah. um but unfortunately you know the way idaho works there's no you know it's not a point system it's not a group thing it's a random first come first serve so i'm there by myself and then uh when it comes to the whitetail woods man i i finally drew the coveted iowa tag so oh, um two pretty pretty top tier tags uh on a couple out of state trips so those are my two primary focuses honestly cool. idaho and then iowa and then ohio's take kind of taking a back burner 
Yeah. So, uh, how much time are you dedicating to that hunt, uh, that, that Idaho hunt and how much time are you dedicating to the Iowa hunt? Well, uh, the season rolls, the season ends in Idaho at the end of the month. So, okay. um, I'm basically allocating two weeks, two weeks, uh, for that elk hunt. Yep. Two weeks. Yeah. Um, and you know, however long it takes, I guess. And, and, and for me, you know, elk hunting is a little bit different than whitetail hunting. There's not, um, you know, I don't have, I'm not out there to kill a 350 inch bull. You know what I mean? Yeah. If, 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 if a branch antler bull comes in, like it's getting, it's getting shot at that, that's kind of the end of the story. Um, you know, I'm still pretty green to it. Um, and it's not that much different when I, you know, with the, with the Iowa tag either, I have, you know, unlimited, like Iowa's that tags the focus. So I have, um, you know, a trip that first, the best weather days in October, and then, you know, the first couple of weeks in November, if I, if I, if I need it. And then if I have to go back, I have to go back. Yeah. Um, and that's not, you know, I'm not there to kill a Boone and Crockett deer. Like it, I'm, it's a lot of guys have that mentality because it's Iowa. They think that they're going to go out and kill 160 on public and it's going to be easy. And, um, you know, that's not, not my mentality. <laughs> yeah, <It's> exactly. Not. <laughs> exactly. So, oh, well, that's cool, man. Um, yeah, I, I, I have a elk. Uh, I'm in the process of collecting preference points for a Wyoming. And so uh, I have like most of my hunts have been really have been uh, like a, an eight day max. I mean, that's pretty mm-hmm. much the, the longest that I've dedicated to not coming home uh, for, for a trip. But uh, when you have a, a preference point, like I got, I think, if I draw next year, it will be with, with eight years worth of preference points um, or nine or something like that. I can't remember right offhand. With that said, that's a hunt where I'll probably just go until I, I, I like I absolutely have to come home. It's it, it's one of those tags where it's like you wait every single year or you, you you've been waiting for eight years. You can't just go into it without giving it the the utmost try so (laughs) what i'm getting at is we'll see what the wife says uh when when, uh you know for dedicating that much time to the to a hunt like that and then obviously some of the other hunts uh you know here in iowa i i'm I'm lucky enough to live some only an hour away from some of the main farms that i hunt and so i can dedicate as really as much time as i need to and i can play the hey this is my job card so it's a win-win, right? Yeah, right, right. So, all right. So, kind of pivoting into to Exodus. Um, just got finally, like, I don't know, three weeks ago, I finally got all my trail cameras hung, right? I, I, don't, I don't have any trail cameras in my house or in my truck. They're all out collecting data. And so, uh, I'm a little bit behind the, the eight. I was a little bit behind this year on the eight ball. Uh, on that and everybody knows exodus from trail cameras and so before mm-hmm. we start talking about uh you know the the arrow side of things that you guys have recently introduced any uh new information or I- exciting news on the trail camera side from exodus yeah um there's nothing to share fully you know i guess in full detail in public um, but we do have two projects being worked on. I know we've gotten a ton of inquiries this year about our regular, like the standard SD card cameras, um, which I don't know, they did be, they're three or four years old, man, those models. So it was time for them to kind of get revamped. So that's uh, one of the two of the projects I guess I've been working on uh, this year. So we have some new stuff coming for 2023 that we're excited about, um, but there's just not too much to share publicly yeah on that so so when you guys look at a model like that uh and you say well this that model has been the same for uh three years four years now whatever it was how do you guys go about making the decision to start a like a revamp like what what kind of like is it is it a component based revamp is it a complete you know let's go back to the drawing board revamp or like i guess what, what i'm looking for is define your version of revamp yeah. Well, for, for us, um, it's, it's everything that you, you just talked about. So when we look at, um, you know, our housing design, we've, we've built four cameras now based off of the same kind of tooling. And when people see that housing, they can 
almost say, okay, that's an, that's an excess camera because we're the only camera company that has that horizontal hinge, two latches. You know, the camera has a very specific look. Yep. So we've used that since 2015. So we've used that, you know, those uh, four, five, six pieces of tooling since 2015 when we first launched. Um, so part of it was, okay, we need to, we want to do some things on the component end to increase performance, you know, work, you know, one of the things that we, one of the problems that we solved when we came to market was longevity. We want to still continue to get better at that. And when we started looking at things, there's some new components and some overflow stuff that we could use, but they didn't necessarily work out with that mechanical design on the housing. So it was, you know, that was really the initiative that said, okay, it's time to go back to the drawing board. We need to kind of retool. Um, so visually the cameras kind of the whole new lineup is getting kind of a facelift. So they'll look different than what people are used to. Um, but all of that is based around the components, you know, yeah. what components are we going to use? What are we going to try to do with a specific model? Um, and for us, there's, there's a couple things like, we just don't put new models out to put new models out. If it's, we kind of take the method methodology of like, if it's not broke and people are finding value in it, it doesn't necessarily need to be fixed. Um, but at the same time, if you're not putting new things out, like if you're going five or six years, four years or whatever the case is, and you're not putting anything new out, you're kind of no longer top of mind. Yeah. Um, so there's a, there's a, a, a give and take or a balance there that, uh, we, we try to accomplish, which I guess over the last six or seven years, it's usually like every other year we'll, we'll, you know, launch a new model or add a model or, you know, revamp a model or, or something like that on the trail camera side. Yeah. So I'm going to, I'm going to, as an example, I'm going to use a product that I know, right. And that from a functionality standpoint works very well for my style of hunting. And that is a like uh, the lone wolf slash Novex design, right? That, that, mm -hmm. that design of tree stand works very well for, for my style of mobile hunting, that kind of stuff. Um, it is, it's known, right? The hardcore guys, they're using that style of, of tree stand. So how much of like from the trail camera side of things, how much of your thought process is, Hey man, continuing with something that works because that tree stand works. Everybody still goes and buys that style of tree stand. Uh, if you're a, a, a serious running gun mobile mobile style hunter, how much of your your play here is continuing with the same functionality, and but at the same time you you said you wanted to give it a new look so you quote unquote stay on top. Like, mm -hmm. is this like? What I'm getting at here is, 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 is that, is the aesthetics change just so you guys have something to market or is it actually going to be some like a, a functionality change that's actually going to be a step up from the current system? Yeah, everything, everything for us is about functionality. Yeah. Um, because if it was just about marketing, you could spend 5,000 bucks or $8,000 and, you know, invest in one piece of new tooling. So just the front of the camera looks different. Yeah. And then you have a new model for the next year for 5,000 for $5,000 investment. Yeah. Um, or you update the firmware or you change one component, like the, like the, the led flash units, you could go from an eight, eight fifty um, nanometer flash to a nine forty. So you're going from logo to, to, to black flash or no glow. And you can make those minute incremental changes and call it a, you know, uh, a new model or the gen two or the gen X or the pro, or that's just not our style, man. Yeah. Um, for us, you know, a lot of people know us for the warranty, yeah. which is, is a good thing. Don't get me wrong. Um, but what I'm going to say is I think this is probably going to shock a lot of people. There are times where that warranty hinders us on the development side. Um, because if they're not going to the last 60 months, we can't sell them because if there's any kind of contingency, or um, uh, second thought of like slight chance that it's only going to last 24 months. Like that would put us out of business because of that policy. Yeah. Um, and I'm not saying that every camera lasts 60 months because that's certainly not the case, but there's a certain tolerance that we have to, or failure rate that we have to stay below. 
um, you know, for us to grow and for us to operate as a business. So it's not, uh, for us, it's not about facelifts or, you know, minute changes, uh, to have something to market. It's about, does the product work? Do people find enough value in it where they're going to trade their time for that product? Um, and are they going to be happy with that value? Yeah, absolutely, man. Those are all, all good things. I mean, that's what a consumer like myself really likes to hear. So, um, trail cameras, right? You're doing your thing. You're, you're, you're continuing the improvement, the continuous improvement of, of the product line that you have over there. So the next question, the, the pivot into arrows is how does a tree st- or a, a, a trail camera company now make the decision to sell arrows? Yep. Um, well, about 90% of it came from my, ex- my experience as a consumer, which that was a big, you know, when Matt and I, Matt Klein and I started Exodus, you know, 20, 2014, I guess, late 2014. Uh, a lot of it was based around our experiences as consumers. So, you know, last year, uh, I'll be the first to admit, like, I am not the world's greatest archer. I'm a, you know, I'm an archery hunter, not a target shooter. Like, I'm not out shooting spots and right. shooting paper. I'm not Levi Morgan. I'm not crispy. Uh, that's not who I am, nor do I want to be that person. But, um, I do continually strive to get better as a hunter to evolve, um, to become more efficient. And with that, over the last couple of years, really last year, uh, 2021, um, I really wanted to understand why everyone was going into like the heavy extreme, I'm not heavy. I'll, I'll use the word extreme, extreme FOC builds, um, and extreme weights. So, you know, going through, certain tuning kits and buying certain arrows and, um, you know, looking at that, looking at the physics, looking at the math and some of it, a lot of it did make sense to me. But when I was going through that process of building those target loads, I guess, whatever you practice arrows, just different weights, um, I could not get anything to fly out of my bow. Um, and the process of trying to get something to shoot correctly took me about three months and I still was not happy with it at the end, but I ended up just fletching them uh, and just saying, okay, well, these are good enough. But for me, like good enough, like that, when it comes to equipment, I don't want to second guess anything. That's why it's like, for me, it's like buy once, cry once, regardless of what it is. Like if I could spend 50 bucks on something and it's, you know, the budget route where I could spend 150 bucks on something and like, it's good for forever or for five or six years or three times the life. Like I'm going to spend 150 bucks because in the woods, if something goes wrong, I want to know that it's me. I want to know that it's my fault. I want to take the accountability. I want to take the responsibility, not my equipment. So, um, you know, having troubles with arrows last year led me to researching bows and like the difference between what happens when you go from 80% let off to 85% let off, what actually happens to an arrow when you, when you fire, when the work, is applied from your bow to your arrow shaft, what actually is happening. Um, and all of that led me to conversations with George Wong, uh, who owns Fire Knock. Uh, George is a really, really intelligent guy. Um, a lot of people don't like him because he lets you know how smart he is uh, <laughs> with some of the some of the verbiage and, and words that he uses. Uh, he's pretty proud of, you know, um, some of that stuff. But some of it made sense to me. Um, and it kind of veered me away from extreme arrow builds. Uh, so I guess that learning process, the, the, the struggles, the uh, whatever you want to call it, that, that entire experience that I had is what led us to, um, you know, down, down the archery wormhole, I guess. Right. Okay. So um, a lot to unpack there because when I hear another archer tell me, uh, you know, man, I can't get this arrow to fly right out of my bow. There's so many things there that, I mean, it could be the arrow itself. It could be underspined. It could yep. be the, your, your uh, rest is off. Your cam timing is off. Like a whole bunch of different things, right? Oh, yeah. That go through that, uh, that, and it, and it's still, it could, it, it's more than likely if I, and from, this is from my experience, um, because I've gone through every issue that you just mentioned uh, to try to find a setup that's right for me. And so, and so for me, 
everything my experience leads to a majority of the time it's some kind of tuning issue on the bow and not necessarily the fault of the arrow and I put an asterisk by that because usually people are shooting arrows that were way too light, way underspined, causing inaccuracies because, you know, there's no stability in, in the arrow with the amount of poundage that they're shooting. So um, so that that's what I have, uh, you know, experienced in the in the past. And so as you're going through this process and you're talking to this guy and you're you're learning about. Uh, you know, you're, you're personally having these struggles, these issues from a business standpoint though, right? It's not like you just go, you know what I'm going to do? I'm going to start an arrow company now, right? I mean, it's like, there's gotta be uh, an arrow out there that would suit your needs. But as a Uh, entrepreneur or a businessman, you go, well, I want to do something different. I want to be able to, so, so what did that look like from the moment where it stopped, it stopped becoming about, or the, the conversation started about, there's not an arrow that I really like to hell. I'm just going to make my own arrow. I want to start my own business. Yeah, no, that you're a hundred percent correct. Um, and just to, I just want to back up real quick before I answer that you're right. When it comes to the archery world, man, there are so many variables and so many inputs that change the outcome that it is when i say a wormhole like i'm saying months and months and months like i'm talking hours every day researching and reading and like there's a lot there um and i'm still learning a lot of that stuff so uh just to your note there are a ton of variables yeah and just Um, just one more quick thing and and so you have all these variables that could potentially be wrong Uh, and let's just say for example, I'm going to use this as an example. The rest is off. Mm-hmm. If you practice with that all out, awkward, out of shape, and you find consistency, you can still be a good archer with your equipment off if you're consistent. You know what exactly. I mean? Exactly. So exactly, and that's where the real the mind, like that's where I got real confused and frustrated is because I'll be honest, I don't have good archery form. Right. 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 So I rely on having to go in and get my equipment tuned properly and and really looking into the details of my archery setup. That's what that's what helped me knowing that I don't have the best form. Right. And and so I consistently am bad, but consistently bad with good tuned equipment is is what makes me accurate. (laughs) You're 100 percent correct. Dan. And it's funny in the office, we use the example of like uh the form to shoot a basketball, yeah. right? There's a guy that can have the best form, perfect release, hold the ball exactly right, can't make free throws to save his life. Yeah. And then you can get some 12-year-old girl that does like the underhand, uh, whatever it's called, um, sissy throw or whatever, yeah. and make 10 out of 10. Yeah. And it's not she has better form, she's more, more consistent. So you're yeah. 100% correct there. Yeah. But jumping over to the business side, um, you know, this, some of this is where, where Jake comes in, uh, my, my business partner. Um, we had shot, I guess, collectively there's, you know, there's eight of us here at the office and probably four of us collectively. We're all shooting different stuff, all having different types of issues. Some of it was bow related. Some of it was arrow related. Some of it was broadhead related, you know, everyone having kind of different variables and everybody on the arrow side was telling us something different, right? Oh, it's the broadhead. It's your, you don't have enough uh, friction or drag uh, or lift on the back end of your arrow from your vein configuration. It's your bow because you're, you're doing this or it's your rest, yada, yada, yada. And what we wanted, what we saw was a need for someone to offer some type of uh, custom built arrow where it took in more variables outside of just your static spine, which is just, you know, your draw weight, your draw length, um, your point weight. And it looked at other things outside of that and spit something out where a normal hunter doesn't have to go through that three month process that I went through to find an arrow that's going to fly out of their bow. That's where it was like, okay, you can go buy custom arrows. Yes. 
there's a lot of options out there um, that say they're custom. Or you can go to somebody like um, uh, who's the guy that owns DCA. Uh, Not sure. My name's or my mind's drawn a blank. But there's guys that will build one-off custom arrows. Like you can call them on the phone. Oh yeah, I and, know guys like that. You, yeah, yeah, and they will build you a custom arrow, and they ask, uh, you know, twenty-five in-depth questions, and they will t- build an arrow for you. Now, we wanted, we saw that and say, okay, well, that's what we want to do. How do we do that at scale? Like that's that's the issue. I mean, because one guy can't sit there and you know do that to fifteen. 15 dozen arrows in a day. It's not, not feasible. So that's where the business opportunity came and the real product, which is kind of a work in progress and it it will continue to evolve is the actual builder on the website. Um, when you get on there, it's asking you, you know, a, a few different things. Um, it's very, very basic right now, but here in about another month, there's a, a couple things that uh, we've been working on that we're adding like a momentum calculator, uh, we're spitting out like the 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 arrow balance point so we can give them, you know, a calculated FOC for that specific build. Um, we're adding a couple other data inputs. Uh, so there's that's the real product is is the actual builder on the website because it takes all the uncertainty out of out of um, the process of knowing or understanding that, you know, you have a you have a right arrow uh, build for for your setup or for your bow. Um, and then just to expand a little bit on that, the, you know, when we went from, everybody knows us as Exodus trail cameras, that's just the reality of it. We, yeah. We've done it for six years. Um, so there's a little bit of a branding conflict. Luckily we've always been Exodus outdoor gear. And I think even from the early days from Matt and I, we had visions of doing some other things in different product categories, which we did, yep. but they were failures. So a lot of people don't know about that, but we messed around with e-bikes. We messed around in the ozone world. Um, and that stuff never came to market because we had lost so much money in those ventures. It was like, you know, um, mishaps on our end as operators. So those are kind of learning mistakes. But when it came to the arrow thing, um, you know, we ex- I expected feedback to be like, you know, you guys are a trail camera company and make great trail cameras. Stay in your lane. You don't need to make arrows. But the feedback has actually been the opposite. We haven't gotten any of that feedback, which to me is a little bit surprising. Um but we're, we're also not, you know, we're not going back and reinventing, reinventing the wheel. What we've done is simply um, we have agreements or licenses, whatever you want to say. We have permission to use several different patents on these builds and kind of sticking them all together um, is, the, is the final product with our 246 shaft. Now, we have some stuff we're doing with 204s right now um, in the works for next year and, and a couple other different um, things. But that's essentially... Uh, what we have. So it's not necessarily, you know, us going out and being completely vertical through the supply chain like we are with the trail cameras. You know, I'm not, we're not going out and, and specifying this is the type of uh, carbon fiber fabric that we want to use in our weave. This is, you know, this is the certain build tolerance here. That's not really what we did. Um, it's more than a white label or private label product because the stuff is patented and we have permission or licenses to use. Um, you know, all of those patents. So that's essentially, so it's kind of two parts there. You have the physical arrow, the physical product, and then the other side is the user experience or the, you know, the e-com product on, on the actual builder. Yeah. Okay. So when I think of a, um, an arrow, all right, I, there's so many different things that can make it customized, right? If, Mm -hmm. if I take an arrow, um, uh, and I say, I want this, I want this, I want it at this length, I want it at this weight, and I want this many fletchings on it, and I, I want, um, I want, I'm going to be shooting a 100-grain head, that's a three-blade expandable, blah, 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 whatever, right? Mm-hmm. So when, where does the tailored part come in, or, or the customized part come into this whole uh, Exodus Arrows? Well, right now on the builder, it's, it's honestly, it's pretty basic. Um, it really just revolves around, uh, the, the static spine of whatever your setup that you're shooting. Um, and then the build process. So when we go through the build process, we're, I don't know, plus or minus two grains, I think on, on the build. So really tight tolerances. 
And essentially right now, all that we're doing is building from the first dynamic bend of the arrow or spine indexing. So the purpose of that is to make sure that every arrow is built the same for the exact reason you said earlier is to have con to be consistent. We want the arrow to react from the work of your bow in the same manner every single time. Um, when it comes to the tailored part, right now the options are relatively limited. Uh, there's a couple different um, knot configurations and a couple different insert configurations. Next month, as soon as you know we get some more work done on the builder, um, we we're adding a couple different vein configurations that we've tested over the summer. Um, so right now, you probably see just the fire knock stuff, uh, arrow vein two. We have Q2I Fusion X2, the 2.1 uh vein in a four fletch offset and one of the reasons we wanted to offer a different vein configuration is arrow clocking and guys shooting single bevel broadheads and with single bevels the bevel needs to match the rotation of your arrow well what we have right now always rotates to the right which is a little bit counterintuitive to how 90 percent of arrows clock out of your bow due to your bowstring um, which is to the left uh, the issue with arrows rotating to the left, you know, a cut, cut on contact blade um, at impact typically is no longer spinning or rotating. Yeah. And then if the shaft is still rotating, you're actually unthreading that shaft, partially unthreading that shaft while it's, you know, en entering an animal. Um, thus, we want those things to rotate to the right, but we have options coming to the builder for that. Um, and then... The one of the big thing is, you know, there's two spots on your arrow that are called nodes. And those are the locations on your arrow where there's um, minimal or zero movement and vibration, I guess. So uh, typically on normal arrows, those are those are spots. Right. And I say a spot because it's let's say it's an eighth of an inch. Um, and if you can get that spot tuned to be on your rest you can become more consistent okay um on the 246 shaft that we have on the i guess we'll call it the mmt because that's the name of the damn product i should have been saying that from the beginning yep. but there's a there's a carbon inner tube in that it built in that shaft which elongates the front node of your arrow so that spot goes from an eighth of an inch to like an inch and a quarter so that arrow becomes more forgiving um you know at at launch and then also that helps aid in faster recovery time in your arrow. So your arrows, when it's launched, it's in constant torsion. It's torquing back and forth. It's oscillating and it's bending while it's flying. Like you, I know like the straightness thing, everyone's caught up on how straight your arrow needs to be. And the only time your arrow is ever perfectly straight is at rest. Like as soon as you shoot the thing, I don't know if you've ever seen, I'm sure guys have seen the high speed footage of, of arrows in flight. Like yep. the things are, it looks like they should explode basically. I mean, it's, it's pretty wild. Um, and that's one of the things like that I learned last year. Is there a difference between, you know, a uh, 0.001, a 0 0.003 and a 0 0.006? And I'm not talking about the build being square and in the arrow, not spinning on a spin tester. That's not what I'm not. If they don't spin they're you're going to have problems in flight. But when you start talking about the tolerances of human hairs, like most people aren't consistent enough to notice a difference between straightness um, in that manner. And we've tested that with a hooter shooter. Now you could see the difference out of a shooting machine, but again, I'm not Levi Morgan. Most people aren't, um, you know, to have that consistency to be able to shoot and know the difference between that type of arrow is, you know, you're at a very elite level. Yeah. Um, but the purpose of that, that node is to increase in, increase in, the amount of time it takes that arrow to recover and to basically become stable in flight, which leads to more energy downrange. So you have less velocity deprivation and you have less momentum deprivation downrange because the longer that arrow is torquing, oscillating and bending, the more energy it's wasting. Yeah. Um, so that's a, I guess, uh, kind of a 30,000 foot view of, of what we have going on. Yeah. So, and, and you bring up uh, again, a lot of great, great information right there. My question is, you know, I, and I've noticed this the more I, I get in. I mean, I used to shoot arrows and I could see them 
especially on like a, a 50, 60 yard shot where they're just a, a noodle going downrange. And mm-hmm. so I increased my spine. I, you know, I, you know, the, the arrows that I shoot now are, um, solid, you know, really, really high quality arrows. And so I, I don't see that as much anymore. Right. Mm-hmm. Uh, that, that recovery time that you mentioned is very quick. So when it comes to the, like when it comes to the recovery time, right. And, and is that just, you know, is this all just a whole bunch of like science talk or is it truly the spine of the, that arrow that has the most to do with the recovery time? Um, there's a couple factors there. Some of it is science talk. Yeah. Some of it is material property stuff, thinner walls, thicker walls. If you were to imagine like a, a wavelength of force yeah. and the wavelengths, the troughs are really wide and that's kind of spread out. But the frequency, uh, the, the amount of waves, let's say this is say they're, they're, they're 10 full wavelengths over eight inches. If you can increase or decrease the distance, shorten, shorten the trough, shorten that, that frequency, but, um, have and decrease the length with the same amount of energy, you can, you can decrease the time it takes for that thing to recover, whatever it is. Um, so some of it is, some of it is wall thickness, some of its material properties. Um, some of it is the difference in the amount of work or the, um, uh, the power stroke of your bow. Like when you start going from 75% let off to 80% to 85%, when you start looking at that chart and it shows the power stroke of your bow, the harsher that power stroke is, the harder it is for your arrow to recover. So it's like, imagine taking, I'm trying to think of a good example here. Um, if you took like 10 pounds of force and dropped it completely over, like, let's say a foot, like that's going to be a very harsh reaction to whatever it lands on. But if you take that same 10 pounds and you decrease the acceleration of that, um, the impact is not going to be as harsh. So a lot of the issues that I, that I had last year, I found out wasn't necessarily related to totally related to the arrows that I had. I was a little bit underspined, but a lot of it was the power stroke due to the let off of the bow that I was shooting. So there's like, when you go into, when you go into this stuff, man, there's no, there's no black and white to any of it it, is the reality. Like there's so much gray, there's so many variables. Um, and like the message that we have told people, cause people have, man, either, either side of the fence that you lie on, people have a lot of conviction about this stuff. And like when you're the opposite or you don't agree with them, they just like, they want to, man, they want to, they want to string you up on a noose and hang you. Yeah. But in my opinion, what we need to accomplish as hunters is have enough momentum and kinetic energy to pass through whatever we're shooting. Okay. Right. And if you have 50 slug feet per second, you can, that's enough energy. That's enough momentum to go through anything in any animal in North America, moose, elk, whatever, bear. And to, for me, to get there as fast as possible with the best trajectory is ideal. Like, I don't care what the arrow does after I have two holes. I don't care how far it sticks into the dirt afterwards. I just want to get two holes in the animal. So that's where the, like the extreme stuff I don't totally agree with. But if you shoot well with that and you have consistency and you believe in it, shoot it, like shoot, shoot, whatever makes you happy. Um, so I'm not sure if I, I'm not sure if I went off on a tangent or answered your question. Sorry. Dan. No, that's good. I mean, yeah, I, and what I got out of that is you can make it as complex or as simple as possible. You know yes. what I mean? Like a guy, yes. can, a guy can go, okay, well, I'm going to take these guys word for it, that these arrows are awesome and I'm going to shoot them. Or um, if you're a, a gear nut and you want to go into all of the details that are, that, you know, that you're saying, and you can go to the, your guys's website um, and there's a, there's like all these drop down box, boxes that you can go and, and read all the details of of these arrows on. Um, you can do that as well, right? And so some guys are into that, some guys aren't. You know, I, I I don't know where I lie necessarily in that. I think I'm that guy who it's only important while I'm 
looking for a new product. And then once I have said product, then I just am like, okay, well now I'm, I'm confident in it. I don't worry about it anymore. Right. And then I go back yep. to the, my, my personal old style of tuning rest site, you know, cams, that kind of stuff. So, Absolutely. um, now when it comes to the material that you guys use, on these arrows is there anything special or different about the the arrow makeup compared to anything else that's yeah. on the market yeah there's a there's a couple things there um you know on the manufacturing side uh ceramic mandrels are used so the these arrows aren't tapered so typically if you're using um a different type of mandrel like it's made out of some type of steel material could be aluminum could be whatever type of metal when those mandrels are pulled out of the tubing um it causes the actual tube the arrow shaft to be tapered um and that that process is gone through very 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 fast and rapid um where we're using ceramic mandrels and they're allowed to cool during that manufacturing process before they're before they're extracted so it gives you uniform shaft diameter so that's you know that's one thing that is different than a lot of other manufacturers and that's where you know you can have the same arrow being manufactured on this long assembly line and they're all cut the same right they're all cut 32 inches or 31 whatever inches and then they get measured for straightness and 0.001 get dumped into a bin and now all of a sudden those things are 70 dollars more than you know the 0.003 straightness arrow and like that's literally how some companies are making a different skews, which there's nothing wrong with that. But again, we're fed something different, I guess, uh, uh, on the consumer end than what we should. Um, so I, I, you know, going back to the materials, we're using a 4K one-to-one -one weave ratio, which this is something that is not, it's important because it gives uniform strength around the shaft diameter, but it's not really, important until it comes to safety and the, a lot of people bypass this stuff because safety isn't sexy but we have uh we have a lot of video footage of this when these shafts fail they do not splinter or fracture they basically shear at a point so for instance which you should always flex and um you know inspect your area before you shoot them but the reality of it is we don't like yeah we just don't like I, I look over my stuff every once in a while, but when I'm not at the range, like I'm not inspecting every arrow before I shoot and either it's 99% of people. But if you were to, you know, shoot a, um, shoot an arrow that has some type of defect chip splinter crack. And that thing was to erupt at launch. Like there's a good chance you're going to have thousands of carbon fiber splinters through your hand or through your wrist. It's not a, yeah, not I've a seen good those deal. Pictures. Yeah. Yeah, it's terrible. Um, and I don't, unfortunately or unfortunately, uh, one of our guys was getting a bow set up just this spring and is in the, in the bow shop. I, something happened with release. They were tying a peep sight or something in and arrow launched thing broke. Luckily, uh, you know, he was fine, but that arrow did exactly what it's supposed to do. It sheared completely in a clean break. Um, where he didn't have thousands of, you know, splinters to pick out of his hand. And yeah. we have a bunch of test footage, high-speed camera footage of that that stuff happening too. So, oh, cool. Um, yeah. Cool. Okay, so the material, um, and it sounds like it, uh, the, the manufacturing process also is part of the quality, which from my experience working in manufacturing for several years, the process in which a product is made has as much weight as the actual material used to make the mm -hmm. process as well. Mm -hmm. So it sounds like you have two big wins going for you there as far as, you know, the, the material plus the process, the manufacturing process itself is leading to um, what you guys are considering, you know, a, a very quality arrow. Now, from a standpoint of kind of going, let's go back to these builds, uh, like how – from an arrow standpoint, how does a guy know what he actually needs, right? I, because when I was a rookie and I didn't, when I was starting out, hell, even I would say six years, because I would go to the store, I would buy arrows. I didn't really look at the spine. I would just say, 
is it long enough for me to draw and and put a broadhead on it right that's what i used to do how does a guy know when he goes to your website what he actually needs well i would say over over half half of over 50 percent of i and again this is just a very small sample size of what we've experienced but i would say over 50 percent of people don't know what they need yeah which is kind of uh kind of a big deal i think i think that there's a a, uh you know a big portion of uh education um that hasn't taken place whether people aren't that interested in it or because for for one reason or the next but um it starts essentially on that on that custom builder they need you need to make sure you're in the right spine like that's really really important you can't you know if you're if you're drawing if you have 70 pound limbs on your bow and you go into a builder and you say your draw weight's 70, 70 pounds and your arrow, uh, your draw length is 28 inches, okay? Uh, that's going to put you in a certain spine. Now, if your draw weight, if you have those limb bolts buried and you have a certain type of uh, cable or string on there, you may be drawing 74, 75 pounds. Yeah. Which is, is going to make a difference in the spine that you need. In that shaft, and it's the same thing with your point weight. As you increase point weight, that is going to add deflection uh, or weaken the spine of the arrow. So you can't go, you know, take a a, a three hundred and fifty spine arrow built for somebody that's correct with a hundred grain broadhead and jump to a one twenty five or a one fifty and expect that thing to to do okay. It's not, and it's the same way with length. The longer that shaft gets, uh, the more deflection you're going to have in the arrow. So there's a combination of knowing what the specifications are around your bow. And what your setup is, and knowing that it's precise. If you know what that stuff is, um, you know those charts that we have, or just any of any of us here at the office can give you something that is exactly what you need. And if it's not right, we'll build you another set. I mean, that's kind of the approach that we take. Like you guys are, you know, customers are ordering arrows that we are supposed to be more consistent than others. And if they're not getting that, then we didn't do our job right in the build process. Yeah. Um, so. Yeah, unfortunately, a lot of people don't know what they need, and you know, at some point, that it's okay because we've all been there. You've been there. I've been there, um, and not everybody needs to go down the, you know, the four month, you know, physics wormhole. Yeah. Like, you don't need to understand all of that. If your arrows can flying consistent out of your bow, then you have something that's working for you. Yeah. Um, but one of the things that we say is tinker, you know tinker and shoot, tinker and shoot and find something, play with different things. And I think seeing that stuff firsthand is probably the best way to spark curiosity and uh, spark learning. Yeah, absolutely. All right. So now there's guys out there who are listening to this and they're, they're going, well, I'm pretty confident in what I have now or, you know, brand new company. I don't know. Like, you know, like for example, Easton arrows, man, they've been around for a hundred years, blah, blah, blah. You know, I've I've been using them for so long to someone who is, and I'm going to break this into two parts for someone who's a brand new archer, uh, or just getting started or maybe just getting started going down said wormhole to try to get their equipment set up nicely. Um, why should they consider, your guys' arrows? Well, I think on the, you know, on the custom side, you know, we don't, you're not going into a pro shop and we're not selling you any arrow based on the margin that we have, or we want to get you out the door to hit a certain IBO speed. Like that's not what we're after. Uh, We're after the final result of the actual arrow. Like, is it doing its job? Do you have enough momentum? Is the build correct for your bow? Uh, and we do that at very specific build tolerances. Like these are hand built, same jig per order, plus or minus two grains. Like you're not going to find those tolerances going into, uh, I mean, I, they're out there again. There's people that build one-off arrow setups like that. And if you have a good pro shop, they will certainly do that for you. But people weren't doing that kind of at scale. So I think that the the tolerance and the craftsmanship is one of the things that sets us apart. Um, you know, these things aren't put together or assembled on a fletching machine in China. Like they're, they're built here in Ohio. Um, so that's, that's one thing. Um, and then I think the other thing is we've gotten a really strong reputation over the last seven years for 
the transparency, which like how we talk about products or how we uh, market our stuff. And in our opinion, education always wins. Um, so that is our approach. So we've actually, you know, going back to like anti-extreme aero builds, we're anti-extreme on both ends. I mean, we've published information that says, yes, you know, you do have less momentum deprivation downrange when you have more mass. Like that, that's a fact. Like we have lab radars, we have high-speed cameras, we've tested all that stuff. But that doesn't necessarily mean you need to be shooting a 800-grain arrow because there's other cons to it. Um, so I think those are, those are two big reasons why people should consider uh, the craftsmanship, the thought that goes into that, and then, you know, the marketing approach on being transparent to educate people um, in what we're finding. Yeah, good. Now, part two of that question is maybe a guy like me. I've been around the block. I'm confident with my arrow setup. Uh, I'm shooting good. Um, why should I consider Exodus MMTs? Well, I would say if you have this is 100- where you're, this is where you're supposed to say, Dan, I've known you for a long time, buddy. Come on, just give it a try. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, that yeah, there's. I guess I have two parts to the the second part of this. I guess one is if you have a hundred percent conviction in what you're shooting and it's working, you know, I would be hesitant to change because when you start again, when you have all these variables in this this archery shot execution um, on a target animal, like dude, there's so much shit that can go wrong. Like yeah. so much shit. Yeah. And you start playing with those things. Maybe you change, want to change your anchor point. Like maybe, maybe you become more consistent. Maybe you get worse. And then maybe you have a, like a head game or maybe you're, you go back to having target panic. So I would, I would tell people to be cautious of changing things to a certain degree. If they're, if they're truly a hundred percent confident what they have, if there's a tad bit of un- uncertainty, that's where I say, Go tinker, go learn, go read, go watch videos, go get some, um, go get some opinions from authoritative figures in the space, and see what it does out of your bow. See what it does uh, uh, with your setup. So I think for guys like you, honestly, that's 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 one side of it. The other side of it is um, these are the most consistent flying arrows that I personally have ever sh- ever shot. I know over the last. I don't know, 10 years, I would say, I'll just say 10 years. Cause I'd say that's really when I've considered myself a, a more serious hunter, regardless of what arrows I bought or what arrows or who built them. Yeah. Buy a dozen arrows every year, or maybe there's 18 or whatever. I always labeled everything, right? I have arrow one arrow two or ABC, whatever I did that year. Sometimes I'd write goofy words on them. Um, but I always had certain arrows that I hunted with because those are the arrows that, flew the most consistent and I'd always have one or two arrows that were just, they wouldn't fly for whatever reason, just had inconsistent results with them. Um, I have 18, 18 to 20 arrows in the back of my truck. I can grab any one of them and it shoots exactly the same because of the way they're built. Um, and I think having confidence in that grabbing any, uh, to me, that's a big deal because I've never had that experience before. Um, going to a pro shop or having other people build arrows or even build my own arrows the last couple of years, never had that experience. Um, so I would say, yeah, man, those are, those are the, the, the couple of things that should for guys like you, that should kind of spark a little curiosity to, to start tinkering with. And Dan, I have known you long enough that if you wanted to shoot them, you could shoot me an email and we would get you, and we would get you some. So. Gotcha. Gotcha. That's the card you should play. Hey man, yeah. <laughs> why don't you just shoot my arrows, man? So, yeah. Well, I guilt you into it. Yeah. Other than that, man, anything else that people need to know about the uh, the arrows? Anything else that people need to know about um, the material, the setup, the the time frame it takes to, uh, you know, once you put an order in, how long does it take to get the arrows that you've ordered? Anything else? Mm-hmm. Yeah, I guess on the on the build side, there's a couple different options there. Um, you know, because these are built in a, a few different steps, there is a process there to build the front ends. Uh, we have to allow them to cure for 24 hours before we can finish a build. Um, but typically we're prepping a lot of those front ends, um, you know, spin testing them, cutting them, squaring them, installing that CTI, installing an insert. And we allow that to cure for 24 hours before we kind of 
finish off the back end. So that's one of the things that we do. We, we cut we cut from both ends of the arrow uh, on for the final build. But on the builder, you know, there's a over or the next day, next day build, which costs you a little more money. Yep. There's a three day build, costs you a little more money, and then we have the standard five day build. Um, what I would say with that is, in the beginning, we were not meeting those times because we had, you know, when we launched this back in June or July, we had thought like the same kind of thing that we start talked about in this conversation is we're, everyone knows this is a trail camera company. We're going to this arrow thing. We're probably going to get some negative feedback. We're kind of uncertain about market acceptance um, because this is a 204 shaft. Everybody wants to shoot micros right now. So we were a little bit uncertain about the demand um, and we sold out in six weeks for what, what we thought we would have for, you know, the rest of the year. So we had to reorder. So at the beginning we were kind of, a little bit bombarded, um, but things have kind of stabilized now. We have two guys, two full-time guys building arrows. Um, and then if I need to, I chip in, I guess, uh, here and there. Um, but you're the boss. So, you're supposed to be out hunting. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> you, you know how that goes. Yeah. 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 Cool, man. Um, yep. Well, other but than that's that. that's kind of it in a nutshell. Yeah. Yeah. Awesome. Well, uh, if people want to find out more about your arrows, your trail cameras, where do we send them? Exodus Outdoor Gear, all things. Gotcha. Well, hey man, Chad. Um, hope this new venture uh, turns well for you. Does you know does it very well? Hopefully, you guys get the the traction that you need. And uh, good luck this upcoming season out in the field, man. Thanks, Dan. I appreciate your time, brother. And uh, same to you.